and welcome to another episode of the Listen Frontier podcast. I'm Ben Felder with The Frontier. Today is February 1st. It is the first day of a new legislative session. It's also, maybe more importantly, the first day for The Frontier's newest journalist, Kayla Branch, who is with me in the Oklahoma City studio. Kayla, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the team. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, we're, we're glad to have you and uh, uh, was out at the Capitol with you today. So we're going to get into the, to what we heard at the first day of the legislative session, specifically uh, Governor Kevin Stitt's annual State of the State address. Uh, but before we do, let me bring in our um, You're the Rookie, and uh, this is the veteran, uh, Cassie McClung, who's joining us via Skype from uh, from Tulsa. Cassie, how's it going? It's going well. I'm a veteran. That, that's very generous well, <laughs> how, to say. How many years have you been at the frontier now? Um, today, I'm not today. Uh, this year's going to make five, though. It's kind of it's kind of wild. Did, barely knew the frontier been around for five years. So yeah, I, yeah. I think you I think you uh, qualify as a as a veteran at this point. I'll take it. Not an original, right? Because you weren't the first. Year. No, no, I'm not an original. I came in. Um, I think it was almost a year after the frontier started, but no, not an original, but. One of, I think I was like the first intern, which is kind of interesting. You, you, you grew, you came up through the ranks of the frontier, through the internship, yeah, exactly. the competitive internship program to, to the spot, <laughs> spot that you're in now. But uh, yeah, we are growing at the frontier. So excited um, that I'm no longer the newbie. I guess before Kayla, I was the, I was the, the newest hire. Been here for yeah. a, a I year was plus. The newbie at my last job for two years and I will be a newbie for a little bit more now. Yeah, uh, but a very experienced reporter and, and definitely happy to have Kayla on board, who, like me, will be focused on uh, the state capital and state government. And um, so let's let's get into that. So uh, yeah, we saw uh, Governor Stitt's third state of the state address. So he's entering his third year in office. kind of So the, the second half of his first term, however you want to divide it up. And um, it's interesting. I think the first year you could say that the governor came in with quite a lot of momentum, uh, a, a pretty sizable election win. Uh, you know, came in on a platform of really wanting to change the structure of government, uh, wanted to be able to have more uh, power of, of hiring state agency leaders, you know, making government more uh, efficient, and in a lot of ways did. I think the first year, by a lot of metrics, he was successful in the things that he wanted to do. A former businessman who wanted to, you know, run government more like a business, it's, it's easy to kind of, uh, you know, maybe make fun of that term a little bit because you hear it so often, but this really mm -hmm. was a guy that came from the private sector and really did some things um, in, in that vein. Year two was a much different story, right? Mm -hmm. So we saw already, um, even before COVID started, it seemed like the honeymoon period, had, to borrow a cliche term, it, it was kind of coming to an end between him and the legislature, and then COVID just really kind of turned things into a mess. And so we'll have to see what year three sets up. Um, but the, the state of the state address is when we really kind of learn what the governor, governor is thinking, him trying to set the tone and the agenda. And then, of course, the legislature will do what they do, um, and they'll have to come together on a variety of issues, including the budget. But, Kayla, I'll start with you. What, you know, what were some of your big takeaways from, from the speech that we heard today? Definitely. So, Stitt, one of the first things that he talked about, which I think is interesting based on what you were, were saying about year two being rocky between him and state lawmakers, one of the first things that he acknowledged was the authority of the different branches of Oklahoma state government and really emphasizing that he wanted to work with state lawmakers, uh, that they have been you know, working together before the session had started, which is not something that they had really done before. So I think that that's important to note that they are all acknowledging, yeah, it didn't go so well in year two when we want to have a better year three. We also saw him spend a lot of time talking about the state's COVID-19 pandemic response, uh, which Stitt was very, um, 
he had a lot of praise for the the way that the state has handled the pandemic so far, uh, how uh, he has responded to the pandemic, the type of actions that they've taken to reopen businesses. Uh, Oklahoma was one of the first states to reopen businesses last summer. We opened schools in August, and Stitt was talking about how that kept our economy strong. It's kept our budget deficit down, our unemployment numbers low. He thanked healthcare workers and uh, kind of continued on his talking point of personal responsibility. Uh, no. So I think a lot of that was to be expected. Um, he highlighted his budget priorities a little bit when he talked about um, wanting to look at the school funding formula mm -hmm. with education. He pressured, again, uh, Tulsa Public Schools and really any districts that were not already offering in-person learning options for students. He's pressuring them to reopen he talked about wanting to reclassify the way that state employees are classified, uh, and he discussed the managed care options. He talked about uh, with expanding Medicaid and what that will look like, and he also said that the McGirt ruling, which came about last year um, and had to do with tribal sovereignty, which is uh, kind of a long, a long topic yeah. to get into, but essentially he said that that was the biggest issue plaguing the state. Uh, because while the case at the Supreme Court level dealt with criminal jurisdictions, it has opened up a lot of questions um, between you know, who has authority over taxes and zoning and different types of regulations. Is it the state government or are, is it tribal nations? And uh, yeah. it doesn't have the best relationship at the moment with the tribal Yeah, leaders. it could be Stitt versus the tribes round two, maybe. I think some people are, are looking at it that way. And so a lot to impact there, and we're going to get into managed care um, here later on in the episode, but let's like back up a little bit here. So, uh, you know, talking about COVID, it wasn't quite a mission accomplished moment under the mm -hmm. banner for, for Stitt. Um, he did acknowledge that, Hey, the virus is still, you know, is still out there and there's a, there's a ways to go um, and kind of pointed towards, it's going to be a few months because I think he also said like, you know, I want to bring our, I want to get our summer back. Like that was kind of like, yeah. I want to get back to normal by summer, but he did kind of say, hey, listen, I've got a lot of criticism for, you know, having very loose restrictions, if any. I never he never did the major lockdowns we saw in other states. No statewide mask mandate. And yeah, and he said that, uh, hey, but look look at our business, look at our unemployment rates. And Cassie, I'm curious for you. I mean, I know you focus so much on the health aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I don't want I don't think it's fair to say that Stitt ignored the health aspect. He didn't. Um, but he really said, listen, my my decisions were also meant to protect the economy. And he said, I I think I did that. Right. And I think, you know, looking at other states that might have focused more on the public health aspect. Um, I think, you know, when we're talking to epidemiologists, public health experts, their goal, I mean, obviously, is to solely save as many lives as they possibly can. They're not thinking about the economy, um, you know, how businesses are doing, et cetera, because that's really not their job. Um, but Stitt, on the other hand, you know, he's trying to run a whole state, and he really did try to balance um, public health with the economy, how well um, he did that, you know, it's kind of up for debate. But yeah, uh, the governor really took the stance of protecting the economy along with protecting Oklahoma's health. I think he saw the economy as, you know, almost as important as um, keeping Oklahoma's healthy. Yeah. And it's not, you know, it's it's interesting because public health is, is kind of a zero-sum game, right? I mean, you don't want to compromise when it comes to health. I mean, we we, we all do, right? And we all take different risks in a variety of different ways. And, and we've been talking about this fact for the last year now. But uh, you're right. I mean, you know, doctors and health officials will say, um, any you know, anything we can do to save a life is worth it. 
And, you know, the governor who, you know, who may not be saying, I don't care about those lies, but he's saying like, well, we, there is a line and we have, and we have to find it. And in Oklahoma, we chose to put that line or he chose to put that line, you know, different than a lot of other states. And he pointed out and, you know, even had a line of, you know, picking at, uh, you know, Governor Cuomo in New York saying, even they in New York mm -hmm. are finally seeing the light. And that may be kind of a, a too simplistic of a view of what's happening in, in New York right. right now. But the reality is that Oklahoma barely closed down, if you even want to call it that, but was very quick to open. And the governor has no, um, no regrets on that. Right. And I think he's always, I mean, throughout the pandemic, he's been pretty, I guess, forward about that is that, you know, he, he, to a point, you know, he wants to try to slow the pandemic, but he's really, he wasn't going to do that at the cost of, you know, um, hurting people's businesses or their incomes, um, etc. So I think he's been a little bit more outspoken about trying to find that balance and trying to maintain the economy. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Kayla, you wrote a little bit of it today about the budget. Uh, that's always a big thing on the first day. The governor unveils his executive budget. And of course, the legislature will do what it does. And, you know, they may try to come to the middle on something. So the governor's budget is a proposal. It's ideas. A lot of it doesn't get done. But one thing that probably will be a reality this year is that the budget looks like it's going to be pretty flat. There's not going to be any major increases. Uh, the governor wants to repad the savings account that he built up a couple years ago. Um, any big surprises in what we heard from him on what he would like the budget to look like this year? No, I don't think any of it was really surprising. I, folks last year were planning for a huge budget deficit and were really worried about what that was going to look like after the uh, 2020 session saw a huge budget hole because of the pandemic, um, but things are a lot better than folks were expecting. And so we're looking at a flat budget of about $7.8 to cover most state agencies. Um, total budget, though, is going to be um, $8.3 It's going to include, like you said, savings accounts, repadding the pension plans that they drew from uh, last year to cover some of the costs because of the pandemic. No real surprises, though. Um, you know, one thing that stood out was because of Medicaid expansion and some of Governor Stitt's uh, desire to cut red tape and increase government efficiency. Uh, the State Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services is going to see a decrease of about $30 million to its budget. And, and that's because one, uh, some of the services that they were providing are now going to be paid for by Medicaid expansion. Uh, and also because it wants to combine the Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services Department with the Department of Health. And so they would be would be one agency, and so that was a, that was a big one. Uh, another large agency we saw getting an increase was the Department of Transportation, and Stitt kind of talked about this in a state of the state speech, how he wants to bolster Oklahoma's infrastructure, uh, but mostly he just and his budget officials this morning talked about uh, wanting to have a conservative spending agenda uh, mm -hmm. because of the pandemic. Yeah, uh, this was we talked about the difference between years one and year two. And I kind of felt like what we heard today was really what the governor wanted to do in year two. I mean, COVID kind of wrecked a lot of that. But what we heard from a, with the, we heard a little bit more of an experienced statesman. I mean, obviously, you know, Stitt had held no public office before becoming a governor. So even though I think many would say his first year was successful by his terms, there were probably still some learning curves. And here we heard from the governor that really kind of played into some partisan lines, you know, really celebrated this, the fact that the state has seen 
an increase in Republican lawmakers. I mean, not that there was a risk of tax increases happening. I mean, Democrats always have said that, that there needs to be more revenue. Um, you know, he pointed out the fact that Republicans added to their numbers this last election. So, you know, tax increases, it ain't happening. Um, <laughs> you know, another big takeaway for me, I remember from the days of, of Mary Fallon as governor. And when you had a Democrat in the White House, it kind of, it, it, it changes the tone in a conservative state like Oklahoma. And I imagine it's the same reverse, right? When there, when you had a Republican in the White House like Trump, you, you probably saw a similar f- effect in places like California and New York. But in a red state like Oklahoma, when you've got a Democrat in the White House, that's a that's an easy punching bag. That's an that's oh, an yeah. easy way to score political points. And I really wish I would have. Um, maybe I'll do this next year, uh, Cassie and Kayla. Is this like a, a, a your liberal bingo board? You know, for the state <laughs> of the state address because you. I mean, we had like he he talked about you know radical liberals in Washington, and I already mm-hmm. mentioned what he said about Governor. Uh, Como, or, and he, uh, what else did he say on here? I mean, he just was, you know, uh, I, I had a list here. And we I'm talked not about uh, the um, anti-business policies in California. Of Biden, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, California, like businesses are trying to get out. I mean, Oklahomans love to talk about how people are trying to escape uh, California because of fires and taxes and all that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And and so he really just kind of hit on those points. And I so I, I think you're going to see that a lot from the legislature this year, right? You're going to see responses to the president. You're going to see responses to Biden. Um, in the same way that you saw responses to uh, Obama. So I just think that's going to be an interesting thing. And, and so maybe that's a way that he can really kind of endear himself to the legislature to be like, listen, I know we we disagreed some last year, but we're really on the same team here. We're, we're, we're against Washington. It's right. We dislike the, world. the same the same people. Yeah. I mean, and when you saw the response to his state of the state speech, it was definitely tempered by the state Republican lawmakers. You know, they said we we liked some parts of what he had to say about certain things, and they were very much, you know, we respect the governor for acknowledging that we have our own authority. Um, I think that that some of the tone for those folks is just waiting and seeing, is this really going to play out? Is Are we really going to be able to get along? Um, what's that going to look like if we do? Uh, but I think you're right that we'll see probably an increase in those kind of partisan punching lines, and maybe that will be some sort of uh, a friendship helper yeah. along the way and you know and i want to make one more point about kind of the the rocky relationship between the governor and the legislature is i think sometimes you know especially in a state where one party has so much control like oklahoma that the, the media i don't know i can't believe i just said that but the, <laughs> like the media can sometimes like we really chase the, like the r and the d battle because we're used to mm-hmm. it we see it at the national level and it's like republicans say this democrats say this so anytime we see like disagreement within party it's a big deal it's like oh my gosh there's in for this the party's falling apart you know and it, <laughs> you kind of see it at the national level but there's just so many republicans in the capitol that they they're going to disagree like it's just like that's not unusual and um and I, I so i think sometimes we like we play it up a little i don't think we you know thus on this podcast but like i think media society whatever it has a tendency to kind of be like oh my god the governor's disagreeing with republican leaders you know there must be you know a huge a, problem yeah and i i think that's just kind of the natural it's just a natural part of governing and when you have so many republicans you're gonna have disagree. i mean they they fall along this, the political spectrum in a variety of ways and so um if there are disagreements i don't think it means that the you know that the party is crumbling or anything like that it's just it I seems healthy I would think so, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, it, and it, it's a good reminder that like a Republican in North Oklahoma City is probably different than a Republican in 
a rural community or I don't know, Broken Arrow, right, or, or something, mm-hmm. like, or something like that. So it's uh, it's there's there's a large political spectrum. It's not always just R and D. But the R's are going to get a lot of what they want this year, I would think. Oh, yeah, <laughs> with, yeah, with I would think so too. Have. And I mean, they've kind of talked about, you know, it's, I think Stitt said over 80% of folks in the House and Senate are now conservative Oklahomans, and it's the largest supermajority for, for Republicans. Republicans. I don't know. He said largest supermajority. I think Dems had a larger one at some point in state history. Okay. But, but it's definitely one, I mean, it's definitely a large, it is a supermajority, yeah. Right. And so, yeah, they, they have a, a lot of sway, obviously, um, and it's been interesting to hear them talk about that. And, uh, you know, I think some folks have even thought, you know, it's a good thing. We should ha- continue to have more and more Republicans because if you're in this majority party, um, the bills that you propose are more likely to be heard. They're more likely to get, you know, second, third, fourth looks at them, uh, which I think is an interesting way to frame that, uh, you know, when you look at the the low numbers of Democrats in, in the legislature and the power that Republicans have to kind of set the policy agenda. Yeah. Well, there will be a lot of agreement, but there will be some disagreement. And one issue where there's already some ag- disagreement is on the issue of of managed care. But so we heard the governor talk about this. We heard the governor last week announce uh, some health companies that are going to get contracts. Before we get into all that, Cassie, can you kind of catch us up briefly on like what is what is managed care? What are we talking about and, and how did we get here? Yes. Okay. So this is another reason that I'm very glad we're kind of expanding our capital team because this is going to be really big this year. Um, Managed care and then um, funding Medicaid expansion. So I'm going to try to give you the quick summary of um, what's going on with managed care right now Uh, because it is kind of complicated. So essentially right now, the Oklahoma Health Care Authority manages um, the state's Medicaid spending. So the Oklahoma Healthcare Authority pays providers directly. So essentially um, these contracts that were announced last week, the state is bringing in private insurance companies. So they're partially privatizing Medicaid by doing this. So essentially these companies are going to coordinate care for Medicaid members. So they're kind of the middleman. They're um, the state's giving them money and then they're taking that money and they're kind of orchestrating um, how people get coverage and who they get coverage with. So, and the reason this is such a big deal is um, these contracts, they're totaling up to more than $2 billion. They're going to be administering care for about 75% of the state's Medicaid enrollees. So it's, you know, it's a big move with, a lot of consequences. Yeah, and we say disagreement because there's there's disagreement within the legislature, within the Republican mm-hmm. Party, on whether or not this is a good idea, right? Right, exactly. And it's, you know, it's kind of on both sides, like you said. So what I'm hearing from a lot of those lawmakers and the medical organizations in the state, like the Oklahoma uh, Hospital Association, is there's an argument that Managed care will reduce health access for um, Oklahomans on Medicaid instead of improving it, which is, you know, the goal. So, and I'm trying to explain this in the best way I can because it's, you know, it's policy. But so Oklahoma's managed care program is going to be capitated. And this means that Oklahoma pays, or I guess the private insurance companies now, pay providers a certain amount of money for each enrollee. So um, 
if they a certain patient spends over that capitation rate, then the providers are on the line for that extra money. So some people think that creates some kind of incentive to give people less care, um, if that makes sense. So there's a lot of um, of the top-ranking legislators who are concerned that it's actually going to um, result in, I guess, a lesser quality of care for Oklahomans. Yeah. I mean, I guess anytime you talk about, like, I mean, it, to me, it kind of boils down to uh, you're letting the private sector dictate, uh, you know, control something. So the, the proponents exactly. are like, well, hey, they have all the incentive in the world to save costs in terms of improving health. Then the But the critics will say, hey, they have every incentive in the world to try to lower their costs by trying to, you know, cut corners in some areas. And so mm-hmm. um, what are we like? The the governor announced these contracts. The healthcare authority board, you know, voted to move forward. Mm-hmm. They have to fund expansion. Are there any options for law for the legislature if a majority of members are against? I mean, I imagine the de- the Republicans who are against this will find, as small as it is, the Democratic caucus to go along in their opposition. Um, right. So you don't ha- you don't need half the Republicans, although fairly close. But is is there anything the legislature can do to to stop this? Right. So I mean, they have to fund Medicaid expansion. That's kind of a issue on its own. But so for managed care, really the only way I could see them being able to do anything is passing some kind of bill. Um, And, you know, and that would have to happen fairly quickly and it would have to survive a very likely veto from Governor Stitt. Um, So really the legislative route is probably the best way to go for them. They're probably not going to get anywhere as far as um, giving funding to the healthcare authority goes. Yeah. And Kayla, That's we, pretty sad, I think. Yeah, and so, but, but Kayla, we kind of expect this to be one of the big sticking points this year in, in the legislature. Absolutely. You know, we heard at a budget hearing last week, one of the House leaders say, you know, we don't want to be obstructionists. We want to work with you, uh, but we will we will be obstructionists if we need to. And I think a lot of folks saw um, what Stitt did with managed care, which was not really consult legislative leaders and kind of go about with his own agenda and do it his own way without asking their opinion as a repeat of a lot of what happened last year where he, uh, you know, in his, like we talked about, just the way that he um, goes about doing his business and with his experience as, you know, successful private sector person, um, you know, he wants to get things done. He wants to be moving forward quickly and efficiently. And uh, last year, at least, and at, at the beginning of this year with managed care, that has looked like not consulting legislative leaders. And they are really upset about that. Yeah. You know, going back, talking about your know, Democratic punching bags in the White House. I mean, this was, you know, uh, uh, Obamacare, you know, Medicaid expansion was one of the signature, you know, parts of that for, mm-hmm. for President Obama and uh, was just hated by the legislature. And, and I mean, they were, were not going, you know, Fallon was not going to expand Medicaid. And many Republican members, most Republican members, were just didn't want anything to do with it. Um, I don't know that the majority, you know, probably still don't want to, you know, would, would rather not. But, uh, you know, Oklahomans voted right. this in. And, you know, a lot of right. that has to do with, you know, now you have a you know, Trump's in the White House, less attention on on Obama, and people have kind of seen the benefit that it's had for other states. Um, you know, and ironically, last year, Stitt was kind of floating his own, you know, Medicaid expansion effort. And even more ironically, this year, he's kind of helped by that argument, right? So, I mean, he can say, listen, Medicaid expansion, we have to fund it. We can't, you know, we have to, we have to protect expansion. And that's the way that he's going to get his managed care funding through. Mm-hmm, right. And, you know, like you said, Legally, 
now that it's, you know, voters passed it, they have to fund Medicare um, expansion and Medicaid expansion, excuse me. And, you know, like you said, Stitt has had his Sooner 2.0 plan last year that he kind of pulled the plug on. Um, so now, you know, they're, they're throwing around a few uh, mechanisms for funding Medicaid expansion. So, yeah, I think he can kind of he kind of has uh, now that they have to fund Medicaid, he kind of does have some more cards to play, I think, as far as managed care goes, yeah. because they're making the argument that it's not going to cost the state any extra money. So, you know, as long as they're funding the health care authority, they're they're funding that um, managed care program. Yeah. Well, we'll be a big storyline to follow. Well, hey, Cassie, before we wrap up, I do. I, you know, we've already talked a little bit about the impact of COVID on state government and, and Stitt's response. But um, we are still in the middle of a pandemic, although it does seem like numbers are getting better as of mm-hmm. late, but the, the situation is still dire. Where where do things, you know, stand, you know, not, we don't have to get into the specific numbers, but just kind of where do things stand right now with both COVID and, and the state's vaccine rollout? Yeah. So, you know, we know, like you said, the hospitalizations are falling, COVID-19, the new cases are falling. So those metrics are trending better, which is great news. Um, there's more than 300,000 Oklahomans who have gotten the first dose of a vaccine. Um, so also good news. Deaths, um, unfortunately, they're still pretty high, but you know, experts are hoping those start falling off in the next few weeks. So I think there's, you know, some reason for cautious optimism. You know, I think, you know, I think a lot of experts think that the summer is probably a little bit too early to see normal uh, but they think you know possibly by the fall we'll see some sorts of some sort of resemblance of how things used to be yeah well yeah. that sure would be nice yeah, yeah and i'll talk yeah, about uh, with with uh, sit's budget that he he announced today um, notably there were no direct appropriations to deal with covid19 there, That's a good you point, know, there yeah. were no additional appropriations to the state health department or you know there was nothing like that specifically addressing a need for increased funding because of the pandemic. Uh, and state budget officials said that was because they're really just relying on the federal dollars. You know, we had the um, CARES Act funding last year and then an additional appropriation in December, which had hundreds of millions of dollars coming into the state health department and local schools. And potentially with the Biden administration, we might see another round of economic aid sometime soon. Yes, yeah, didn't I know what about knock Biden too much you know I mean that's I mean that's a that's a real yeah. big uh yeah. that's a big key to this budget right I uh-huh. mean the you know the the president right now is um and I haven't paid attention to what's happening at the national level today I've been focused at the cap- state capitol but I, I know he was going to meet with some Republican senators to see if he could get some kind of bipartisan agreement but it, were, it seems like we're inching closer to being a a just a the Democrats with their slim majority are going to be able to you know try to get through their you know their massive reliefs you know, right. package through, which is is critical for states. Right. Yeah. Because what I have, have heard also haven't paid too much attention to the national news today, but the latest news I had heard was that Republican lawmakers on the, the federal level didn't want to give another round of economic aid to local governments and state governments, just saying the price tag was going to be too high. Uh, so if that, if that doesn't happen, it'll be really interesting to see, um, you know, what Oklahoma is able to do when it comes to vaccination efforts and continuing to test folks and, uh, you know, provide health care. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at this line from Stitt's speech. He's like, my vision is to get our summer back and we can do that by continuing to lead the nation in vaccinations. 
this this relief fund doesn't come through. Uh, that's, that's that'll be a little bit more more difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely will be a fly in the ointment for what he wants to get done, uh, especially budget wise. So um, it might be interesting to ask the governor maybe someday what he thinks about the 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 president's plan, especially if it seems like it's going to be uh, forced through by uh, a long partisan line. So. Um, well, hey, Cassie, uh, thanks for thanks for joining us and, and coming in on this conversation. And we know, um, like, I, I think we're all going to be, mm. you know, following a lot of these storylines, but such yes. an intersection between health and, and government this year. It's just uh, um, it's it's important to have a team approach to this. Yeah, definitely. I'm 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 relieved that we have an extra person on the team because there's going to be, like you said, a lot of different storylines to follow. Yeah. Well, you can continue to follow that coverage at readfrontier.org. It's also a pair of newsletters you can subscribe to, Halls of Power, our, our state capital uh, government newsletter. Cassie, you've got Health Matters, a, a weekly uh, newsletter. Weekly, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, every Friday. Every Friday, a newsletter to, to get the latest on what's happening in health and COVID in Oklahoma. Uh, so lots of ways to follow the news, and we'll be there doing it for you. So, okay, Cassie, Kayla, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Yeah.